welcome to KX Emerging Research Podcast. We're focusing on research that's happening right now. It's science so fresh, you haven't even heard about it yet. I'm Stacey Cochran. And I'm Kim Winslow from the Knowledge Exchange. Today, we're back with Dominic Petrella and Ed Nangle from Ohio State ATI and the Department of Horticulture and Crop Science in the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences. We've really enjoyed hearing about your efforts to help homeowners reduce fertilizer inputs and turf grass managers to better manage soil organic matter in our previous episodes. Today, in the final episode of the Turfgrass series, we're learning about a new method for testing turfgrass shade tolerance. So in the past, researchers used shade cloth to cover the grass to mimic shade conditions in the wild. So meaning places like your backyard, football fields, or even some spaces on golf courses. But Dom, I know you started using a different method. You're starting to use gels, which is like what you might find in theater lighting. This has taken me back. The heat of the stage lights, the roar of the crowds, my high school production of Gypsy. I think, (laughs) Stacey, did it make your hair grow a lot? (laughs) I mean, because Dominic's not really worried about that. Maybe. I can tell. I wish I would lose more hair. (laughs) First, I'll say it's not my idea, um, but this is something that I've been working on adapting or trying to optimize and improve. Um, Yeah, so. Shade cloth. Shade cloth is used for everything and anything where people are looking at the effects of light on plant development. The only problem is shade cloth reduces the quantity of light or the amount of light. When you get in the real world and you go underneath a tree, uh, the leaves in the tree filter the light. So they use some of that light for photosynthesis, and the light that's not used for photosynthesis is passed through. Well, that light that's passed through, it's called far red light. It's a little bit longer wavelength of light than used for photosynthesis, and it affects growth and development. So the plants under that, the turf, whatever it is, they're enriched in this light environment that has altered signals. So that research of the shade cloth doesn't use those altered signals. The plants are only exposed to less light. So these filters um, that we've been working with, I started working with them when I was in graduate school working with Ed here. He's the one that introduced me to him. It's the truth. Oh, it's the truth. Yeah. Long time ago now. Yeah, I know. I forgot. (laughs) But those filters, they actually change light very, very similar to what trees do. Nice. Um, I went through and I optimized it. So we take some different gels or filters. They use these on, they used to use them in stage productions to change the color of the light put on the actors. You can, I layered them different types of filters, different types of gels to change the light exactly like a leaf would do. So we're able to, in a greenhouse, put these filters over the plants and then they're growing in a light environment that's almost no different than growing under a that's tree. That's amazing. I love that. So it's a little bit more work and it's a little bit more money. It's a little bit costlier, but now we're actually simulating what happens in the right. real world. So then we can actually see plants and choose plants that respond to those changes in light quality because there's different genes. So there's a whole suite of genes involved in light quality, not just reductions in light intensity. So it's helping us hopefully then breed new cultivars that are actually more adapted to shade. And that was that was going to be my next question. So what circumstances do you use these gels in? What is it that you want to test or find when you're using the filters? So two big things. One is breeding. So we can put a whole bunch of random breeding germplasm under these, these gels and pick out the plants that grow the best. 
Then we can take those and put them into a breeding program to make more shade tolerant plants. Next, I'm also, I people have told me, well, does it actually make a difference? Uh, the plants might respond the same under the shade cloth as they do as the filter. Well, I need to prove them wrong, right? So like this last summer, I went through and did that. I used different sets of gels. Uh, one gel that actually changes the light exactly like a dark forest. And another set of gels that's a little bit less extreme. And then I compared that to just shade cloth. And the plants grew different. So when growing under these different types of shade, it affects the turf plants. They'll get less tillers, they'll be less dense, or the leaves will be, be a bit longer. So it's, what was kind of interesting is that when they were growing just under the shade cloth, the plants adapted relatively poor to the light. But when they were growing under the treatments where they had altered spectral quality, they adapted a little bit easier. So we're, we're trying to progress and show people that plants respond to multiple signals from light. It's not just the amount of light for photosynthesis. They're seeing this change in light quality similar to our eyes do. And I keep saying they can't adapt unless they get all the signals. So we're trying to, to perfectly simulate that so then we can say, hey, these plants are fully adapted to the change in light out in the real world. When you say adapted, what do you mean? Adapted? Mm -hmm. So they're able to shift growth so they can grow well in that new environment. I see. Part of the problems with shade is most plants will stretch out and become very, um, very elongated and easily, they will easily, for turf, for example, they won't be able to survive mowing or they won't be able to survive traffic. More adapted for us is plants that are nice and compact and short under shade. That's the opposite of how they grow in, the, in, in right? forests. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're actually selecting for plants that grow opposite of what they would normally do, let's say under a forest dense and compact. So the gels that you're using, are they different colors then? Like they are in the theater when they're changing? Okay. And thicknesses too, or? Well, so yes. So they would call it uh, density. Um, and it's how opaque the gel is. So I use three types. I use neutral density gels. They reduce all wavelengths of visible light the same, but they don't reduce far red light. I also then use blue gels and green gels to help kind of fine tune the wavelengths of light to produce a simulation similar to what trees do. That makes sense. The three of those make the, the like the best combination. So then I'm, I'm guessing that from this work, you're hoping to provide some information to industry as to how to better test their cultivars? There's some of that. Uh, there's also some work for breeding our own varieties too here at Ohio State. That'd be the ultimate goal is we'd be able to develop our own varieties here. Um, in the meantime, it's helping other breeders develop varieties that they might be working on. But also, we can take current cultivars that people can buy, and we can test those so we can make better recommendations for what to use in shade. Uh, oh, my goodness. I, that would be great. We, we had a very shaded backyard in one of our houses. And we ended up just putting like chip pads everywhere because we couldn't get anything to grow. Kept trying different seeds. <laughs> Husband, bless his heart, kept trying different seed. Like, honey, it's just not working. Let's just, we'll just put in yeah. mulch. Just a big mulch. That's right. <laughs> That's how it is sometimes though. I think some people try too hard to grow, make turf grow in shade. There's some instances where just give up and put yep. something else there. Yeah. Ho hostas. That's right. We had a lot of hostas. Hostas. <laughs> so I, I would say, 
uh, the one other thing to add to this is this problem stretches across all three areas of okay. turf, right? So professional sports, um, and that includes stadiums uh, and the golf courses. Um, now, again, Dominic's differentiating between the shade that a stadium creates versus the shade line that a tree will create. But also you get into the home lawn, right? So a tree line sure. is going to have an impact there. And so these are uh, questions that we've just said that need to be answered from the, the standpoint of all three parts of the, the industry. This is from my like this. Is my big point of view for this is that we want to increase the number of trees in right. cities. That's good. The problem is we don't want concrete under the trees. We want something living. Well, right now, if you walk across cities that have trees in urban areas, there's usually bare soil. And that's a no-no. Sure. Uh, all that, it's usually on a slope, and that's just soil that's going right, right down the storm yep. sewer. So this is actually something that's very important for urban areas. Yeah, I never would have thought about that, but you're right. In, in thinking about some of the spaces here, even in Columbus, you're seeing it very difficult to keep that up since there is not much maintenance time that people have in order to keep those urban spaces flush with grass. So this is, that's really exciting. And I love too, that you're mimicking nature in trying to understand these different processes. A lot less disappointment for people who keep trying seed in places where they shouldn't be growing it. Hopefully. <laughs> right. Yeah, we have to replicate environments yes. as best we can. That makes sense. That's the only way we could, you know, do our best in, in our jobs doing research is replicate as best as possible, simulate as best as possible. Sure. Without needing to bring in a whole thing of trees and <laughs> make it as complicated as can be. Shade research in the real world is very difficult because you have light gaps. So you might have the center of your plot actually gets a fair amount of light versus the edges. And you might have trees that are spaced at different different spacings. It might take... 20 years to get a good shade research plot with trees in the real world. So in order to do these things quick and get good answers, we need to simulate. So where are you in the project? Starting out, been working on it for a while. Last summer, I completed a full round of research looking at how some different hard fescues grow under these treatments. Um, that's getting written up here soon. Next year, we'll be screening some perennial ryegrass uh, cultivars under this. And then hopefully, we'll be starting our first round of uh, breeding our own uh, shade-tolerant cultivars at Ohio State here in the next couple of years. That's exciting. Very cool. Well, we look forward to hearing about that when you get some results we can share. Because we dream. We dream of sharing results, Kim. Stacy, you <laughs> <I> did. didn't. <laughs> That was not it your was segue. It was my segue. Hey, Kim. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, Stacy. Do you know what time it is? I think I do now. I think you may Did have I? given it away. It's time for our Dream Big segment. Dom and Ed, yes. this is where you can have fun. We ask everyone we interview to answer this question. If you had unlimited resources, funding, time, support, people, what big question would you want to research? You go, you go first. Yeah. Tag. So going back to my PhD, and, and we just had another question popped up um, tied to this. So this time of year in particular, um, we're going to see some cooler temperatures, but also 
even in Cleveland, some sunny conditions, right? And so that high light, cool temperature uh, response in many turf grasses leads to a purpling of uh, turf grasses. Now, some people will see it brown from a distance, but if you get up close and personal to the tissue, it does turn purple. Those pigments are called anthocyanins. And if I had unlimited resources and I could get the FDA to cooperate, the idea of breeding turf grasses to produce those pigments would be something that we would really, really like to do, or I would like to do, purely because it's a natural source of food oh. colorant. Mm-hmm. All right. And we can extract that material from turf grasses in the same way that they extract it from grapes and red cabbage and all those processes. But as a perennial cropping system, we can harvest that every oh two gosh. or three weeks. That'd be great. And I think cut the cost down nice. quite dramatically. Ed, did you know that we have someone who studies that very thing here in food science and technology? She was on my committee. Monica Monica wasn't overly happy I was cutting in on the <laughs> No pun oh, intended. Stop. Excellent. <laughs> but she got to deal with Mars, so she's happy now. That's okay. That's really weird. No, that's yeah. really fascinating. I never would have guessed that it turned purple because you're right. I think I noticed more of that brown yeah. from a distance. I think Ed and I combined put about eight years of our life uh, into this idea. <laughs> I love it. More natural. Um, along those same lines, I mean, we can, uh, with turf, continually produce leaves to get things out of. So picture not just getting anthocyanins out of. I know we're not going to get into the GMO debate here, but we can transform turf grasses to produce valuable chemicals, right? You go out there, you mow them, and then you can extract them and sell them. Um, I don't care what it is. I know there's companies now using annual plants to produce phytochemicals or, or synthetic chemicals. I personally think turf grass is a better system. So, Tom, give me an example of that. Any pharmaceutical that you can probably think of that needs a few steps of synthetic chemistry, I'm sure we could transform uh, turf grasses to potentially produce those. You have your transformed plant. You have it out in the area, you mow it, you collect the leaves, you extract those chemicals, and then you have a product. This is something I think both Ed and I have been tossing around our heads for a long time. Uh, but of course, it, there's a lot of regulatory steps. Sure, sure. And as turf grass scientists, those regulatory steps for us look pretty daunting. <laughs> no, but it's a fascinating question. Well, but it's also, in a sense, a no-brainer. It, it As a crop, it's looked at as being so low value and it's not a food source, so you're not competing with any uh, price pricing point, but it's also just there, right? It's perennial. It continues to grow. You can cut it and it comes back if you want to leave it for three weeks. And then if we can manipulate it to do what we want, it becomes this naturally recurring resource. What do you think would happen in the turf grass industry if something like that were possible? We take over the world. Oh, okay. All right. So step two of taking over the world. You, hear, you heard it here. I'll be done. <laughs> Love this. No, this it, is... it, tur- it turns it into a, a viable industry where, you know, p- people don't look at it as being just a guy cutting the grass, right? That's that's a problem that we deal with. And when we talk about things like fertility and, and pesticides, it becomes a lot more of a nuanced area where people have to think about it. But if people now see a value to it that they didn't previously attach, then the guy who's in charge of it and, and knows what he's doing, uh, suddenly his his level of, of importance has increased. These are plants that are used to be, they're adapted to be defoliated. 
they're adapted to have leaves removed. Therefore, let's find a, a use for right. those leaves. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. I'm I'm over here thinking um, Back to the Future, right? With the uh, feeding the trash into the for the flux capacitor, right? To get the DeLorean to work. <laughs> so grass clippings. I'm sorry. <laughs> to those of you who are listening, I have no idea what, what that reference is. Well, we can we can produce methane. We can produce methane. Just put it in a heap and cover it up and open it and you'll smell it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> so, Engine fuel. But the the pigment stuff is easy. I mean, these grasses produce. People talk about antioxidants. Uh, turf grasses produce a bunch of antioxidants. A bunch naturally. So if we're able to harness those right. and sell them, that'd be great. Maybe some some tea some grass tea so I can go outside and just clip some of the grass and have some, I'm kidding. That Well, you've got wheatgrass already. <laughs> yeah. Someone's right. making money out of it. Good point. Yes, yeah. absolutely. No, this is all, I, again, I love having these conversations in spaces that I'm not as privy to. My background wasn't necessarily in turf grass. And so hearing all the different ways that you guys are attacking questions that are not only industry-based, but also applicable to homeowners and to, you know, like you're saying in your dream big segment, the medical profession. I think this is just a really neat opportunity to see how far this research can go. So thanks, guys. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again, Dom and Ed. We've really enjoyed talking with you. And thanks again for listening to KX Emerging Research. Want to explore more fresh research from the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences? Visit kx.osu.edu. 